Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. The truth is that I'm tired. Tired of fighting every single day. I'm educated, experienced, hardworking, and smart. These qualities would more than justify a leadership position, right? In fact, I've seen many leaders with much less. My truth is, if I were anything other than a black woman, I would be a C-suite executive in my field by now. I wish I had just one story, but I don't. I have many. Detailing the stalls, detours, weight, and hurt that have been permanently mounted to my identity and that I now carry into every new experience. They can't comprehend the ways in which I need to fortify myself to go into work each day and be great at what I do. Sometimes even I can't. Wondering what type of microaggressions, unconscious bias, fragility, privilege I'll have to endure because some non-underrepresented person just doesn't get it. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Each oppressive word and behavior is like a paper cut and it's continuous. How can you heal something that's never ending? Or how can you fight it when it's coming from the person who's supposed to support and grow you? What is the subtext that leader gives us? That leadership gives us? What have we missed? And what do we choose to ignore? I've been told unimaginable things. Stuff from tales of workplace horror. One manager told me he and his wife had never had any black friends. I wonder if he had ever admitted that to anyone else. And in what context? What exemption was he hoping for in revealing that fact? Another told me that the company I worked for at the time had no need for diversity and inclusion efforts. What did diversity and inclusion look like to them? Was it about the literal look those initiatives would bring? Who else felt that way? And then there was this director who judged my performance differently than others on the team. He consistently referred to my resilience and my executive presence when we could have talked about my accomplishments. The highest utilization rates and customer reviews in the department. When I broached it, he disregarded my concern as a personality conflict. Why was I held to a different standard than the rest of the team? even if I was doing better. Was his bias unconscious? How can something subliminal be so direct? What was conflicting about our personalities? Our opinions? Or our culture? This behavior harasses, harms, and hurts. So I hope everyone is listening and learns from this. We need to stop burying our heads in the sand as if these situations have no affect, as if they don't exist. 
While I'm tired of fighting to decode and overcome corporate America's subtext, I'm not giving up. Because I can't. We don't have that option. I'm strong, I'm resilient, and we will be victorious. Hi everyone, this is Crystal. And this is Krista. And welcome to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. This week, we're talking to LaRon Barton. LaRon is a writer and speaker from Kansas City who lives in San Francisco. He has authored two books, Straight Dope, a 360 look into American drug culture, and All We Really Need is Love, stories of dating, relationships, heartbreak, and marriage. Welcome to the show, LaRon. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I really appreciate it. So you've just heard the decoding the subtext narrative. What were your thoughts and reactions? And is this story familiar to you? I mean, I thought it was incredible. I mean, it it was, uh, you know, it, it when I when I heard it, I, I said to myself, I was like, damn, like, this is like everything that that every black person, every Latinx person, uh, possibly every every Asian person kind of deals with in the workplace and it and in life is, is being articulated uh through this narrative and i just i thought it was fantastic because it was so accurate you you know i mean there's i mean there i mean we all deal with uh we all deal with with racism uh in many different ways but just the fact that there were so many things that, that i think all of us could sort of point to and say yep i go through that yep that's happened to me or you know this is this is what I'm dealing with, you know, at my, at my job right now. So I, I thought it was spot on. Yeah. And what's so funny is that there are so many people who probably were nodding their heads, raising their hand and saying, yes, this actually did happen to me, or this is something that I've experienced. Yet there are so many people who will swear up and down that microaggressions don't exist that they don't happen, that people who claim to experience microaggressions are making it up. We are sensitive and that we're just PC and you just can't say anything anymore is what we normally hear when it comes to microaggressions or when they're called out. You know, I, I, I think that so, I think that a lot of, um, and, and again, I can only speak for black people here. I, I think a lot of black folks they want to believe that we are, you know, post-racial, that, you know, these, uh, that these things are in, are in the past that, you know, it doesn't happen to me. Hey, you know, I have a lot of white, I have a lot of white friends. I may have a white romantic interest, um, you know, Oh, Oh, come on now. We just had Barack, Barack Obama. Uh, you know, uh, my, my best white friend, he, um, he loves Jay-Z. I mean, it, it's almost like a lot of us are in denial. And then for, and, and then for, you know, the white people who, who say that, you know, we're, you know, we're too sensitive. I mean, they've been saying that for the longest. So I'm, 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 I'm not too, too surprised that they would, uh, that, that they would say that because see, when, when someone tells you, Hey, uh, Hey, listen, what you did to me was, uh, was, uh, was foul you you can either deny it and sort of gaslight me or you can then say okay um i'm i'm very sorry let me change my behavior and 
changing your behavior takes more takes more work than it does to just simply just like simply just smack me down, right? So it's 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 almost like taking an easy route out. Well, and I, to your point, right? If microaggressions exist, if racism exists, right, so blatantly, and people are still denying it, why does subtext even exist? Like, what is the root? And what purpose does it serve for the aggressor to be racist or to be discriminatory in that space at all? Well, I mean, you know, I will, first off, I, I believe that, that there's a, uh, that there's not too many of us uh, in, in any spaces. Like I, uh, I live in San Francisco and, you know, Silicon Valley's next door. Right. So you have companies like Facebook that have 3% black people. You have companies like Google that have 2% black folks. And, you know, this could just be me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist here, but I think those spaces are predominantly that way because they want them to be that way. You know, I mean, like those, those, those companies are very hostile to black folks. And so they, and, and so no one, no one really wants their uh, their power to be upended, right? No one uh, no one really wants sort of new cultures, because see, when you get people that don't look like you and that come from different backgrounds, then that means that you're gonna have to change your behavior, because certain things that you think are acceptable may not be uh, accessible to other folks. Um, uh, I'll give you a good example. I I read somewhere that um. Many hiring managers who are who are men, many CEOs who are who are men, they're afraid to interact with uh, with with women. They'll say something to the effect of, "Man, I I don't I don't know how to talk to women these days." And for me, what that says is is that I'm is that I know that I can't get away with this same misogynistic crap. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it it kind of goes back to. Well, I, I'm a big believer in. I think white people know exactly what they're uh, what they're doing. I don't think that they are ignorant when it comes to racism because this has been practiced throughout our time in America. You, you look, white people have been treating us the same way since we've been here. You know, uh, to uh, to quote the great Dr. Tommy Curry, uh, who wrote the book The Man Man Not. There, the way that white people treat us. They, uh, this is sort of a um, passed down and in, uh, an inheritance. You know, white people have been calling us the N word since we've been in, since we've been here. This is nothing new. You know, we know that they've been discriminatory. We we uh, we we know that we've been denied banks that we've been incarcerated in large numbers. So why would we not think that those that that those beliefs would not filter down to the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. The things that happen out in the real world absolutely do come into the workplace. They don't just stop at the door and people just 100%. all of the things that happened or that they were doing that were quote unquote racist. But I also right. want to add to what you're saying about the behavior in general. And I think it is a good point to call out that there are a lot of people that are outwardly and blatantly racist. 
However, there are people who I believe feel <laughs> that they are inherently good and right. they can still be racist because I believe that racism is on a spectrum. It isn't that you're and racist or you're not racist. It's are you benefiting from racist systems? If your answer well, to that is yes, right. then you're also racist. Well, I mean, yeah, like, so, um, so, you know, that's the thing, like, and I'm so glad that you brought that you brought that up. I think one of the worst things that, you know, that with the, uh, with the racism conversation is, is that people are, people have a very, like, skewed version of what racism is, right? So many people think being racist is, you know, is uh, identifying with a white supremacist group is uh, is voting for Donald Trump is um is calling somebody the N word. But to be racist, you know, you you know, you can also be a, you can also be a liberal. Like I, I mean, not to talk politics here, but there's but there's been a, a big sort of brouhaha about you know many white people who are going to vote for uh, uh, for um, uh, Michael Bloomberg a guy who has been no, notoriously known to uh, promote practices of, of racism by stop and frisk, things that have disproportionately affect, affected black and Latino people within New York City. You know, it, uh, so I, uh, I agree with your, uh, with, uh, with your point that racism is a spectrum. Look, you don't have to call me the N word. You don't have to um, to support Donald Trump to support racist policies. You know, like, I guarantee you. Well, I'll say I'll I'll almost guarantee guarantee you that people that work in these uh, in these tech companies that that have maybe three or four black folks, maybe two Latinos, they don't think that they're racist, right? But it's the uh, but it's their actions that are racist. So we need to start looking at it as, as a systemic thing and not, in, and not individuality. That's one of the reasons why I don't like the white privilege discourse because it's truly individual. It doesn't address the system it's, itself. To go back to subtext in general and the things that may be said in the workplace, what do you think the subtext of you're so educated is? Well, I, I think that, um, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I know <laughs> that when people say that to me, that's essentially people uh, being, uh, being surprised that I don't fit the stereotype that they, that they have in their mind. You know, when, when I give a speech, you know, when I give a talk, you know, or when I'm writing uh, a piece, people, people will, uh, will say, oh, my God, uh, Laurent, you were just so articulate. So when I hear that, um, and I was discussing this with somebody, uh, she had said, well, you know, what, uh, what about me was articulate, right? So, you know, kind of always stay in that question lane. And that will probably trip somebody up. Because, see, we're not, uh, look, we're not supposed to be able to um, quote, uh, let's just say, uh, St. Augustine, we're not, uh, we're not able, like, we're not supposed to be able to say, hey, you know what, I read uh, War and Peace, or that I can speak in uh, our, I can speak from an academic level, right? 
we're just supposed to just we're just supposed to just be talking slang. We're supposed to just be just you know like barely uh, able to articulate anything anything because that's the stereotype of black people in America. You know, it, it's it's almost like you know the stereotypical black male. I have a hoodie. My pants are hanging off my butt, and I'm always like, "Yo, what's up? What's what's popping?" Yada yada yada. So when I break that stereotype, the the mouths drop, and it's it's just like you know what like it reminds me of this great joke. It's one of, you know Chris Rock is one of my favorite comedians of all of all time, and he did a joke where he was talking about Colin Powell. And, um, you know, after Colin Powell would, would speak, you know, white people would, would go up to him and say, oh, my God, you speak so well. You're, you're, you're so articulate. And, and Chris Rock says he's a college graduate. What do you, uh, what do you expect him to do? He, uh, he's, been in, he's been in the public eye for, your, for years. How do you expect him to speak? So it's, it's the, the standard for us is just ex- extremely low. Yeah, and I think it's ironic, right? Because the standard is low. And when you meet the standard, you get a cookie. When you exceed the standard in how educated and how well prepared you are, you don't get the credit. You don't get the attention. It's like Absolutely. You, you always get um, kind of the pat on the head but you um, never get better, uh, a seat at the table. Um, or better yet, the goalpost is moved. Because with us, the, uh, you know, and, 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 and I read this a couple of days ago, with us, the goalpost always has wheels, right? Mm. So it's, you know, so if we, if we exceed the expectations, uh, as you just said, you know, oh, you know, that was an anomaly. That's, uh, uh, you know, he's uh, here, uh, he or she, they're, they're just um, they're just different from everyone, from everybody else, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so it's it's uh, many of them don't think uh, think about the fact that I'm not special. You, you like, there's millions of Leron Bartons uh, in America, but you know, many white people just don't want to see it. I I think also too, right? the subtext of what we're talking about has so many layers. And if we don't want to take it there, we don't have to, but I am typically when Crystal and I have these conversations, I always play devil's advocate or I guess, I don't know, racists advocate. And I'm like, well, what about their intention? Like what about the intention behind what they were saying in you're so articulate or you're so educated what about the right. intention uh, that, that feels really like good hearted, right? In the way that they interact with us and the way that they give us these cookies and the way that we've right. kind of become submissive to the cookies when we do get sure. them few and far between. So I, I just wanted to bring that up for debate a bit. Yeah, no. So um, first off, you know, white validation is, uh, is real. I'm, I'm, I mean, look, like our, our whole um, idea of success in this country is pretty much constructed from, from white success. Would you, would you agree? 
Yeah, absolutely. Professionalism is derivative of white culture. So why wouldn't success be? Exactly. And so going back to your intentions, if I'm, um, if I'm driving a car and, uh, and if I hit you, right, but my intention was to make that left turn, that's not going to make a difference because you're, because your car is banged up. Right. (laughs) I mean, I mean, yo, like, you know, my intentions uh, was to make that light, <laughs> but you know, I, but uh, but 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 now I've injured you. So you know, um, one of the most important lessons I've learned in the past couple years is that impact trumps intent. And so, as a as a man, like you know, I remember uh, I said something to my lady Michelle. Uh, I was. Um, I had, you know, we were, you know, we were reading this, reading this article and I was like, oh my God, this article is so, so, so good. Like, you know, he really did his thing. And she was like, hold up. Why, uh, why do you, why do you automatically think, uh, think that the writer was a man? And, and, and I was like, well, that's not what I meant, but I just kind of defaulted to that. Right. Turns out the article was written by a woman. Incredible article, incredible article, duh. But so I, I, I think that your intentions can be can be good, but you know, to me, like that doesn't matter. It's, it's like yo, know, like what's you know, like what's the impact here? I mean, I know that you didn't intend to hurt me, but you did hurt me. And so when that happens, going going back to what I said earlier, you know, you're either going to. Um, take accountability and and own up to it or you're going to gaslight me and you're and you're going to um say oh you know what i didn't mean to do that that's in your uh, that's in your head you need to toughen up so true and i really don't care what your intention is or what's in your heart but what i do care about is the impact and your behavior right. so what did you do is what I actually care about and not what you intended to do. Exactly. Exactly. I'm a, I mean, so again, like, you know, like going, uh, going back to the subtext, you, you know, like uh, walking a tightrope, you know, w- when that happens to you, you, you either have two choices here. You can either press them and, and, and say, you know what? No, like, you know, this, this hurt me, or you can, just not and and just go okay well you 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 know uh you didn't mean to do it you know i just have to just take this ale and just you know keep it moving so you know that's what it is yeah i'm a challenger (laughs) i can't i'm a challenger uh, as well yeah i can't lay down next to it and just say i'll just let it go and i know a lot of people who look like me um, black and brown people who will just say, well, it's okay. I won't worry about it. But if we allow the behavior to continue, if we don't speak up, if we don't share what the impact was of the thing that happened, then people will go throughout the world assuming that their good intentions are landing well and the behavior will never change. Right. No, I I, uh, I completely uh, Agree, but you know, p- uh, pushing back on that though, and I, I never, so I never try to criticize, you know, other black folks for the way that they go about handling racism because, you know, it's the it's the system that's 
that's the problem. We're not the problem here, right? However, there are some there are some folks that are like, I mean, it's 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 like what my friend um, Alicia said. I'll I'll never forget this as long as I live. She said, you know, Laron, as a black woman, my life is a is a negotiation, right? So there, I, you know, she told me like I see and hear so many things throughout the day that I just want to scream. And I have to, uh, and, and I have to ask myself, okay, are, uh, is this worth fighting? You know, it's almost like she's, um, she's picking which things are worth sort of going after. So, you know, as, you know, as, as Alicia said, it's a, it's a negotiation again, going back to the tightrope, that's what it is. So, you know, uh, some of us are, 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 are fighters. Look, I've, I've let things, I've let things slide. Some things I just can't let slide. And, you know, it's, it's all in your decision. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we're talking a lot about how we solve for these kinds of environments that are perpetuating and coddling the subtext, the microaggressions. You're saying that we should call them out as soon as they happen. And like Crystal mentioned before, right, when we don't, it just lets people know that it's okay to continue this behavior and just uh, to let it exist, that it doesn't have to go unchecked to Alicia's point, right? She's not even here, but (laughs) um, I can relate to her really well because I understand what it's like to negotiate, especially existing in the state of Florida, right? Where the culture is, I'm, sure quite different even in corporate America than it would be in like the Bay area or Austin. So a lot of the times I find myself negotiating with things that I hear throughout the day that I would like to combat, but you have to make a decision on what's worth fighting for. And that will always be subjective. Lauren, we have a me moments question that we spotlight every now and then. So if being in corporate spaces is so hard for people of color, why do we continue to fight for our place in them? Uh, that's a very good, it's a very good question. You know, it's like when, when I read the question and, you know, hear, hearing it, it, it kind of reminds me of something the great Malcolm X said. He, he, he was, he was talking about the sit-ins and people protesting to, to be able to eat at a restaurant, to spend their spend their money at a specific place, and Malcolm said something to the effect of, "Well, I mean, I don't want to sit like you know anybody can sit, an old man can uh, can sit, a dog can sit. Why do I want to be somewhere where they don't respect me? I would be a fool to sit at a restaurant and have people fix my food." who don't, who don't want me there, they will probably spit in my food. Right. And, and so I, I think about that and unfortunately there's a couple of things, right? So, you know, we've been raised to, uh, to, you know, go to school, to, you know, get a great job. You know, it's, it's been sort of, uh, I guess, lack of a better term, it's been beating our head that, you know, corporate America is the way to, is the way to go. And unfortunately in corporate America, it's, it's pretty white. You, you like, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I would not work. At, I would not work at one of the big tech companies because I just, I don't want to be in that kind of envir- environment. However, 
you know, these, you know, these kids are come are coming out of school. They want to work for Google. They, uh, they want to work for Facebook and the big tech companies. Those are the companies that are paying the most, paying the most money, you know, and, Finally, like we all, we don't have the resources to uh, to be able to uh, to start our own firms as as uh, as freely and as quickly and as easily as uh, as our white counterparts. You know, I I think I've, I've seen somewhere, and please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but but like was uh, some sort of number like v, like VCs uh, like black women accounted for two percent of the funds given by given by VCs, right? So we're not, I mean, it's, it's almost like darn if we do, darn if we don't, right? I mean, I, I don't work for those, for those tech companies, but if someone asked me, you know, what do you think I would tell, I would tell them, well, you know, just understand what type of environment you're, you're going to be getting in, getting into, you know, there's going to be microaggressions. There's, it's going to be in your face. I mean, it's like going to a PWI, you know, which is a, predominantly white institution. I mean, you know, you're, it's what we said earlier, what we said earlier, like those places are just a microcosm of what we face in America today. Laurent, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that our listeners are going to feel so connected with you and you're thinking, where can they find you online? Yes. So you can find me at www.laurentbarton.com. That's L-E-R-O-N. B-A-R-T-O-N dot C-O-M. I'm also on Twitter at Mainline Laron. I am on uh, Instagram, Laron L. Barton. And, you know, that's about, that's about it. I'm, I'm not doing like the Snapchat. I'm not doing uh, the TikTok. <laughs> like I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I cap my social media at, at, at Instagram. So that's okay. That's if it. you, if you had a Snapchat though, I will say that I would watch it. Cause I imagine it would be hilarious and edgy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.